says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another instalment of the Tip Sheet Podcast, the Instant Reaction Podcast, live from the fallout from round 24 of the NRL, where the Parramatta Eels have delivered an ungodly shellacking over the Brisbane Broncos, 53-6. Joining me as always, my good mate, 60s, we're going to talk about something that happened on the field that I'm not really sure you know, what happened, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> mate, was it fair to say that the Eels finally flexed their muscle, like really flexed tonight to announce that that power game is going to be hard for opposition teams to overcome. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we know that they can do this. We've spoken about it at length. You know, they beat Melbourne and Melbourne, beat Penrith twice this year. They've had these high highs, but for the first time, it feels like in forever, they've had two really compelling performances back to back. Obviously the Canterbury Bulldogs last week, 42 to six. Now they're sort of almost, you know, gone above and beyond that with 53-6 victory over the Brisbane Broncos up in Brisbane. Yeah, so so much to play for for both teams coming into this game, but you wouldn't think it. Looking right. at this what about what about the intensity level from the Eels yeah. throughout the first 40 minutes? The first 40 minutes and then the last 20. And it's funny because that third quarter wasn't for a lack of effort. They were still making huge inroads, but just the finishing touches weren't there. Parramatta were having passes, just not find the target. Brisbane were getting hands the balls on those last passes too. But in the last 10 minutes, I don't know if you picked up on it, 60s, but the Eels went out for the kill defensively. There were guys shooting up out of a line looking to put big hits on, guys arriving in numbers to drive like big boppers like Payne Haas into the ground. So they obviously heeded the coach's message about wanting to see the full 80-minute performance this week. Yeah, and you're right. That first 20 minutes of the second half, it was... It wasn't like the line breaks weren't happening. They were they were still there. We just weren't completing the sets. We, yeah. You know, there might have been a, a pushed pass or a drop ball or whatever the case may be, but there was still uh, plenty of ball movement, movement. And it's it's like you look at that and you go, oh, why would you throw that pass? But then the other side of the coin is they were making the inroads because of the offloads and the passes that they were throwing. Yeah. So... Uh, you know, it's look. I guess that's football. If you if you're not chancing your arm, then uh, you know that's you're not going to make those mistakes. But by the same token, you're maybe not going to make the breaks that uh, that the Eels were making tonight. And they were making those line breaks all night. And we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, let's, but uh, mate, let's uh, let's get into some stats. Yeah, mate. let's run by the numbers quickly as we always do. We already heard the scoreline, Parramatta Eels 53 over the Brisbane Broncos 6. For the Broncos, the lone try scorer, Branko Lee, he came off a, a almost a mirror image of what happened last week, right? Dylan Brown error into a cheeky try for the opposition. It came off a scrum. Uh, Eels getting stripped for numbers down that right edge. But Tony Staggs added the extras because Adam Reynolds was ruled out of the game with a HIA or a failed HIA at that point. That was it for the Broncos, though. Could have easily been zero points, but they got the one try to save the uh, bagel on the scoreboard. For the Eels, though, Mike Acevo kicked off the scoring in the 10th minute, followed by Tom Opacic, Quinton Gufferson, Mitchell Moses, Guffo's second try, Isaiah Papali'i with the Rugby Union barge over. He was playing number six there. And then you got Will Penasini, a second for double, uh, a second for double, a second for Tom Opacic, followed by Wanga Blake putting the icing on the cake in the 79th minute, that big right foot step and drive over. Moses missing just the one conversion, eight from nine from the try conversions. He added a field goal, 
at the end of the first half to round out a very, very nice score sheet. <laughs> I mean, you score 53 points, you've got to dominate possession 60s. And speaking of that 60s number, 63% for the blue and gold, time of possession, wow. 30 and a half minutes for the Eels to under 19 minutes for the Brisbane Broncos. They did it tough. They only completed at 68%. The Eels were a tick under 80 at 79%. And then look at these offensive numbers. Eels with, is that, let me, let me do my maths here. Uh, that looks like 77 more runs. They had nearly double the Broncos' run meters, 1,020 to 1,948. They had double the post-contact meters, essentially, 426 to 808 for the Eels. Eight line breaks to two, 53 tackle breaks to 23. Average set distance that is almost double digits over the Brisbane Broncos. That is how dominant it was. And we're in rarefied air here, 60s. Not only did the Eels have a faster play the ball speed from their opposition, but it's down at 3.25 seconds. That's almost like a, I want to say a, NRL era record for us. It feels like uh, lightning fast play the balls. Hang, hang on, I'm I'm just pinching myself to make sure this isn't some sort of strange dream. That, we're so uh, used to it being in the free the free sixes, the free eights, but here it is, right down at three two five over the Broncos three four four, uh, twenty three offloads to seven, uh, going down to kick defusal. The Eels did not drop a bomb all night. One hundred percent defusal rate to Brisbane's thirty eight percent. That tells a story in and of itself. Eels completing their tackles. At an effective rate of 86.62% to Brisbane, 79.63. So, wow, rough night there for the Broncos. Uh, we already mentioned the, the tackle breaks, but for the Eels, it was 23 missed and 13 ineffective tackles. So, they're outstanding numbers on both sides for the Broncos. 53 missed tackles, 34 ineffective. Wow. Yeah. Now, um, I, I've got to jump in and mention this. Sean Lane, 13 tackle breaks yeah. on his own. Yeah, the, the commentary were waxing little about Sean Lane for a good reason. He continues to be an absolute juggernaut for the Parramatta Eels. Oh, that, I mean, that's that just jumps out from the page. Like, you know, it's – I mean, the eye test was there anyway with his performance. But for, for a back rower, getting 13 tackle breaks, it's uh, – he, he, was, he was near unstoppable during this match tonight. It was just, uh, he's he's going from strength to strength. You know, no one saw this coming this season. No, we, no we obviously knew that Sean Lane could be a fantastic player for us in 2019. He was outstanding, but he has taken his game to, I thought a couple of weeks ago, I would have said that the Dalian positional award for back rower was almost a lock him out sort of battle between guys like Kikau, maybe Ice, you know, ice has been very consistent as well. But, you know, beyond that, there wasn't much in competition. But lo and behold, Sean Lane, I think he's going to make some noise. Not not just Ken Fournette noise, but maybe Dalian positional awards. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's going to be interesting when we come to our three two ones, mate, because... Oh, good luck. Uh, there was good luck. standout. Yeah. There was standout performance. I don't think, I don't think there was a, a bad member in the spine. The, the forwards were dominant. Some of the outside backs were excellent. So, yeah, this might be a game where we need to hand out a lot of honourable mentions. <laughs> yeah. So, look, just just looking back at, at the match, it, it did start off with me throwing uh, quite loud expletives that people <laughs> doors up would have heard when that when the uh, the bunker... Oh, what What uh, is going on? ...ruled, there, ruled against I, Parramatta. I, I actually understand how Atkins made that call live. It was sort of bang-bang, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. Fair enough, he, he made that call the way he did. But on replay... Tom Opicic clearly repossesses the ball first. 
Um, well, he yeah, he clearly takes the pass. Yeah, he clearly gets the first possession. It then becomes a, a, a grapple for the ball where he emerges with the ball. Yeah. And the fact that not only did they rule against the Parramatta Eels, which, okay, you can take your lumps, but they didn't say, you know what, it's kind of a close call. Let's just say that we can't determine the call uh, based on the, you know, their evidence and we're going to give the challenge back. They took a challenge from us. It, so, it was a damn quick call. Who, who was in the bunker? Uh, bunker, because you actually asked me this and I forgot to tell it yeah, to yeah. you. So Atkins had the main whistle. It was Adam G, senior review official. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it was a really quick call. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I don't mind a quick call, but we're so used to them, you know, looking at uh, pouring looking over at the CSI, under the microscope. Yeah, CSI type, you know, enhance. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was just an incredibly quick call. And look, I agree with you. I had no problem with Atkins calling it that way to start off with because my first thought was it was an intercept. But then when you saw the replay, you could yeah. see that it was clearly taken. Clearly possessed by, by Tom first, yeah. And it never, it actually never left his hands. There, as you said, there was a bit of a grapple for the ball, but at no time did the ball come out of Opachik's hands. And you saw that the, um, uh, it was Pereira, wasn't it, for the Broncos? Yes. There was no... There yeah, was he'd, no argument. He'd given up on it because he knew he hadn't yeah. got the ball. Yeah. 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 So yeah. anyway, I mean that it was hey, thankfully. Hey, after 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 heads. weeks after weeks of having some, you know, poor officiating ma ugly losses for us where you can't really complain about the refs, I suppose we have earned a right to gripe just a little bit about a yeah, bad bunker call. <laughs> just a little. I mean, that that was that was how it started. As I said, I I'm I'm starting off. I, I'm I'm throwing expletives out that as I said would have been heard several doors away. I had this nervous energy about tonight, mate. It was just I was there. There, there was, was so much edge. writing so much I, writing on the line tonight because I was really on edge. But the, the interesting thing was I was the, I was a similar way last week before the Bulldogs game, and this is quite out of the blue, like really on edge. Real, real, the nerves were happening. Um, I was sitting there last week up in the stands, and and uh, you know, I was, it it felt like I was watching a grand final, and that I and as I said, I was all revved up. And then uh, you know, there was nothing to worry about last week, and then. The same thing was happening tonight. And as it was getting closer to match time, the nerves were just kicking in big mm-hmm. time. Maybe that's a good sign. It, maybe. <laughs> it, well, it, it, because maybe. it almost feels like finals football. Like the, well, the, the Eels weren't certainly, but they weren't technically guaranteed of making the top eight coming into this game because the way things would have played out, if they go lose, lose, four and against could come back to haunt them with the chasing pack and they could uh, miss out. But uh, by the same time, because we're also playing for our top four positioning here, it just that there's so much on the line in each of these games, and the fact that our boys are coming into these games and, and really switching it on, you know, and it's something we haven't played finals football, so I'm not getting ahead of myself here. But timing your run is such a big part of competitions that aren't first by first past post. When you have a final series, sudden death football, winner takes all throughout, you know, gauntlet of games. You know, you, you can afford to be a bit inconsistent during the regular season as long as you get your shit together for that big run. And I'm not counting my chickens yet, but the signs are starting to point towards maybe the Eels getting their timing right. And yeah, and and what we were looking for tonight was that start. We were looking for that intensity. Mm-hmm. And the way that the Eels forwards took oh, us to the Broncos. And, and the, the thing about, and this is what we keep talking about with playing para football, where if, we get our forwards playing with 
with intensity, drive the middles of the opposition backwards so the defence loses line speed. They're just desperate to get back in the line and uh, they're on the back foot because they're, they're, they're constantly marching backwards with the charges through the middle. And then that opens up the opportunity to start shifting the ball and to hit the edges and for Dylan Brown and Mitch Moses to go exploring with their with their edge players, the centres and the back rowers. And of course, and it was just classic, classic. When your uh, forwards football. are starting to rampage through the line, it means a guy like Quinton Gufferson suddenly becomes, you know, switched online. He becomes yes. this big difference maker. He's lurking around, causing all sorts of havoc. He's running off Sean Lane. He's running off his props. He's you know been off his outside backs even, and, and you know early in the sets when we can get that interchange of ball. Uh, when we're just rucking it out, it causes so much havoc. So a lot, a lot to be encouraged about. And this, this is a podcast where you know if we don't control ourselves, we could be rambling for a good hour plus. So, <laughs> well, mate, it was. It only seemed like a few short weeks ago that uh, I was writing about Clint Gutherson and saying he needs to return to what yeah. makes him a great player, which is lurking around the middle. Backing up, he's a he's an elite support player. He's great when he's he's as you say looking for those offloads, looking at backup breaks, ducking in every so often into dummy half and taking a dart there himself. And, and then he can be the guy that helps put the final pass when we're in the red zone. And that's what he did in this yeah. game. He had some great final passes. Yeah, he did. Uh, but the thing was, prior to that, we were seeing Clint Gutherson just wanting to continually be the man out the back. In the in the uh, the block plays, yeah, and it was it was becoming predictable, and it wasn't the Clint Gutherson that we know is the energy and intensity behind the team, and uh, yeah, he's he's just had a real return to form. And there's uh, there's so many facets of his game where it's starting to show, isn't it? The kick returns are stronger, the dummy half runs are really starting to bend the line and cause the opposition a lot of grief. The support play, obviously, that's all up tempo, high energy stuff. So I don't know, you know, what was going wrong with him or, or what had him just, you know, at below boil, but he seems to have figured it out. And it, it's no coincidence that the Parramatta Eels have gone from looking not like also rounds, but, you know, certainly a, an imitation of who they could be to suddenly being legitimate contenders again. Yeah. So we had, as as we said just then, we had the, that first half of the forwards just absolutely dominating the middle, just slaughtering their opposition. Um, the blind side plays, mate. Yeah. The blind well, side. Brand, Brandy pointed out, and it's something that I've certainly held true for a long time, but Mitchell Moses has to be the best short side half in the game. He is so dangerous between his combination of acceleration and tackle breaking ability to present a legitimate running threat himself to the selection of passes. Just the timing on it, the touch on it, it, it almost never backfires or, or results in a negative play. It feels like it's either a guaranteed line break or try whenever he picks and chooses these moments, and that was on show in full glory in this game. Well, when he first arrived at the Eels back in 17, 2017, uh, a, a quite a smart uh, football brain said to me, uh, this particular person, you watch Mitch Moses, he's one of the best counters in the competition, yeah, yeah. meaning, meaning he's counting numbers. He's yeah. constantly looking at that opposition defence line mm -hmm. and counting numbers. He knows when it's on down the short side. He knows when when to uh, when to go for certain plays. And 
I think we steered away from the blindside play for a little bit too long at different times this year. It, well, in fact, over the last couple of years, because it's always been a strength of Mitch Moses to to go there. Now, we see Dylan Brown enjoying the, the short side plays quite a lot with uh, Sean Lane, but it was just really good to see Mitch Moses combining with ice over on the other side and, and hitting those short sides and, and creating havoc, absolute havoc down that side. And we saw that plenty of times during the first half. And the other 30... player who I thought was key to that was the dummy half Reed Marnie. He had some good first steps out of dummy half to, to commit to the short side play and create that opening for Mitchell Moses. So fair play to everyone involved there. Really, really encouraging to see. Well, we, we really want the spine to be hitting form as you, as you said coming in this time of year this is this is where we want to be striking at our best and tonight was probably a night where as a unit the the spine functioned as as well as they have at any other time i mean dylan had his little hiccup that forward don't, pass don't don't hiccup. turn your back like that and pass still you, you can't no just plant your foot no. and turn around and pass no no and and you know what it just seems so unlike dylan to you know he's He's had a few funny moments the last couple of weeks. The, and yet he's the played one thing that I'm flat of is is that you know he's probably, as we talked about last week, developing that uh, memory of a goldfish where mm-hmm. uh, he just puts it behind him and, and gets on with it. So that's what that's again what you want to see. You don't want to see the error in the first place because uh, the last couple of weeks it's resulted in the only points <laughs> that the opposition has scored has yep. come off uh, Dylan Brown errors, but to put it behind him. And to get on with it was uh, was fantastic to see. It's it was a trait of James Maloney, who had such a long and successful career at a number of clubs. Just being able to, you know, if he made a mistake, chance in his hand, or or you know, maybe even just a simple error, it was he just put it behind him like it never happened, mm-hmm. and just get on with his get on with his football. So made it thirty one to six. What were you expecting from the second half? Well, the the halftime messaging that we got from Corey Parker on the sideline was obviously, you know, to be ruthless, to go out there for 80 minutes. And that, that is 100% what we need to see, right? Because in other games, you, you'll get a similar message, but, you know, you might not need to go for the full 80 because you've built up such a buffer and you want to sort of preserve the bodies moving forwards. But it is go time for the Parramatta Eels, you know. Not only the finals just around the corner, but they are playing for a top four spot still. So, yeah, the messaging that we got was very much in line with what I wanted to see. Be ruthless, go for the throat, be aggressive. And, you know, take take your shots. And the Eels did that. And it didn't come off every single time, as we spoke about earlier. The third quarter, while we certainly gouged the meters out, we couldn't quite put the killer blow over. But by the same token, that work that was done in that period led to the Broncos just falling apart in the last 15, 20 minutes. Well, we had five tries in the first half, four in the second. Do you think there's going to be some Eels supporters out there disappointed with the second half? If you're, if you're being very, very nitpicky, I imagine you could be grumbling a little bit about the second half, but the fact that we went from that third stanza where it was strong running but not good finishing to being all-out guns-blazing finish with aggressive defense, you have to be a very, very tough adjudicator to be unhappy with that second half. I can almost guarantee that there will be critics out there who won't be happy, and there'll be critics out there saying that we lost that momentum with the interchange with the, with the bench players that were coming on. But again, I think we have to counter that with the fact that the line breaks were still happening and that it oh, was yeah. 
that it was a case of um, not icing the the uh, the the line breaks into into tries. Um, you know, a few unforced errors in there as well. Got a little bit scrappy, but I don't think that had anything to do with uh, the bench because I can't recall that it was bench players making errors. No, I, I remember Junior had one uh, tough drop where we made some really lovely passes in second phase play that he got, you know, I don't know how the ball got uh, stripped of him, but he, he sort of dropped and obviously torpedoed that attacking raid. So, And that was on, I think, the zero tackle. Tom, Tom Opacic dropped the ball off a Sean Lane inside flick ball. Uh, there was like, you know, just a handful of errors here and there. And obviously the other thing that we've mentioned, Brisbane got very, uh, not aggressive with their defense, but desperate in terms of batting the ball down. They got a lot of hands to passes that would have been line breaks or, or close enough too. So they, they found a little bit of grit and resolve out of half time, which isn't surprising. You know, they're a very talented team, just their headspace is not the healthiest right now when you have what what happened to them the last hundred and sixty minutes happened to them. But Yeah, what was um and and I, I just think it's interesting looking back to uh the loss that we suffered to the Broncos at uh Combank Stadium and uh I mean for a start you look at tonight's game and you think, I don't know how on earth that loss happened with, with these two sides. I mean, obviously, the, the the Broncos lost Adam Reynolds reasonably early, but they were already on the back foot in a big way in tonight's game when that happened. So I don't think Reynolds there was going to make too much difference. Maybe they might have got a, a, an extra try. Um, I mean, that's all just conjecture. But he was there, um, you know... the. They had a big points put on them last week. They've had big yeah, points put on them. Ren- Reynolds again. is their control tower. He is their shot caller. But the Eels had all momentum before he went down. And yeah, you know, yeah. we, we put on the opening try in the process of him getting injured with that, you know, just one of those unfortunate football injuries where the he dropped off the Gufferson tackle and then the second guy came around and sort of his own teammate hip-checked him. Hip-checked him real, you know, real nasty contact, but nothing you can do about it. But yeah, the the Eels, regardless of the Broncos' attrition rate, which was you know it does need to be mentioned, they had really really awful luck in this game when it came to injuries. That that might have maybe impacted twelve points off the scoreboard. I don't know, like maybe I'm being generous. The the Eels yeah. were going to run right over them. One thing I did want to mention: sixties, and it comes back to the idea of sort of timing your run, but just putting the polish on some of the lesser aspects of the game. The Eels played some. Really, really high IQ and smart football in our little moments in this game. Uh, the short drop kicks were really, really well done this week. Quentin Gufferson. Well, they contested them. Yeah, Quentin Gufferson might just be, and I, I, I do not kid, might just be the best exponent of the short dropout in the NRL. He has not missed one all year, I feel like. He puts them on a dime between 11 to 12 metres out and gives his guys a chance to get to them. This week, they did him the, like the proper service. They got out there and contested it. The Eels got a knock on out of one and caught the other one. So big results there. Let's not talk about the fact that Junior Polo got stripped on the, <laughs> the following play from that first one. But that leads me to the other point I want to talk about. Quentin Garverson, one-on-one strip. That was actually, yeah, well, yeah. it wasn't just a one-on-one tackle. It was a called one-on-one strip. There were three guys in there. A call was made. They dropped off. Garverson takes the ball, turns possession to Parramatta's favour. And the other one, and this guy might just be the smartest football player when it comes to these sort of things in the team. And I'm, the, the commentators didn't really catch on to this, but... I think it might have been the lead-up to our first try, the or maybe it was a second. Uh, the Eels played down their right side, and either Branko Lee or Ezra Mann bats a ball down, and it's there for the Eels to pick up and play advantage if they want to, and it's Mitchell Moses in the vicinity of the ball. But he literally just stands there and shepherds around the ball, 
doesn't play at it. And I'm like, what are you doing, Mitch? What are you doing? Pick it up, pick it up. But he knew that if it wasn't Ezra Man that knocked it down, it was Branko Lee and vice versa. If it wasn't the one that knocked it down, the other one picked it up. But Moses was immediately aware that they were in an offside position and would be baited into picking up the football. And he just sat on the ball waiting for him to do it, let him do it, and got the penalty. And it was just like one of those, like, you know, how did you diagnose that so quickly? Moments where you know shows that these guys operate at such a high level sometimes. Well, I think for a start, uh, Mitch Moses' record with the uh, captain's challenge has um, has stamped him as someone who's who just watches that game mm-hmm. so closely with uh, with his calls. But the other thing too, which uh, I was I was getting onto this the last time that the Eels played the Broncos, it seemed like every time we were the ones that were sticking the hand or the foot out. Yeah. Ball was bouncing perfectly, and and then the Broncos were getting tries like directly off some of those knockdowns. Now tonight it was the Broncos who were going uh, for the knockdowns. We weren't getting tries immediately off them, but we were getting repeat possessions, which ultimately built up pressure and and led to points. But you know it could have been it could have been anything in terms of where the ball went after the knockdown. It could have it, it could have you know, tapped up into a Parramatta hand. It could have bounced Parramatta's way. It didn't. But as I said, in the end, that repeat possession led to a lot of pressure, led to Eels points. And I don't have a problem with that at all. I think the fact that we didn't get points for that period of time, but then, as you said, put the foot on the throat towards the end, that said a lot about what it, where our mindset was at, that we didn't lose focus. And, uh, yeah, it was a very good finish to the game, exactly what we wanted. Nine tries, five in the first half, four in the second. Uh, anyone that's not happy with that, uh, give give it away. <laughs> you, you absolutely give it away. You, you, you know, I, I don't know why you'd be supporting the team if you weren't happy with tonight's result. Yeah, and like, like I said earlier in this podcast, 60s, we could just go on and on on an individual player basis here because so many guys had terrific games. Um, well, can we... Should we get into the three, two, one now? Let's, uh, before uh, before we do that, one cute uh, cute little note out of this game: the scoreline fifty three to six is an act of scoragami, uh, never happened before in rugby league, or at least documented in our real history. So, first time ever that scorelines happened. And if uh, I'm taking this one blatantly off the internet here from Reddit, but if the Eels had missed that conversion at the end, it would have been only the second time fifty one six has happened, which of course was a scoreline that opened the then Bankwest Stadium, now Combank. Uh, what would fifty-five to six have been? I could not tell you off the top of my head. I, um, I'm thinking there would be a fifty-five. Some I just feel like there'd be a fifty-five. But then again, it's because you know you've got um, the 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 five point or the three point at the end is was quite common before the um, the change to the four point try. Um, so I guess you've got those conflicting points where the field goal put it into the odd points. The the um, the uh, beaten team is in even points, and the score is a blowout past fifty. So I guess, yeah, it's um, it's not surprising that it's uh, fifty five uh, six is still up for grabs too. That would have oh, been well, that would have been the first ever, I believe, if I can, uh, yeah, because fifty six six both has happened twice, no, seven times. The first time and the most recent time both involved the Parramatta Eels, but on the wrong sides of that score. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, let's start talking about the three-two-one, mate. Because, geez, I don't think you know. You talk about how tough it can be in a bad loss, like that one we had against South Sydney a few weeks back. But 
equally so, these games where you win and win really, really well, you feel guilty not giving points to some players. Oh, mate, uh, look, I'm going to go. I, I can't remember who do I nominate as as likely to be best on field. I think you had the, Dylan uh, Brown. Yeah, well, I, I'm. He's not going to feature in, this, yeah, in these that's, points. That's how rough it is. The guy, uh, yeah. the guy comes out, has a try assist, a line break assist, runs for 111 meters and breaks a few tackles. And yes, he had that one error, but you know he's not even close to featuring on the three two one. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I'm. I can't go past Sean Lane. Yeah, uh, I think on a game where, or in a game where there were so many outstanding performers, pretty much the entire spine of the Parramatta was one six seven nine. Uh, you got guys like Mike Acevo breaking the line, making 150 metres. You've got you know, guys like Reg going for nearly 200 and being physical, you know, two of the forces through the middle. And yet, Sean Lane, it just feels like right now, if he gets the ball, something's going to happen. And he was getting, you know, breaking through the line, throwing offloads, uh, just doing everything in this game. And like you said, 13 tackle breaks. I think that might actually... Does that eclipse Isaiah's record that he set last year? Did he have 12, I want to say? Anyone, You've got a good any, memory to anyone to that can remember that year. remember that one in the comments. Give me a shout out what exactly that was because Ice had a game well, it might have been against Penrith or the West Tigers where he he had double digit tackle breaks which was you know close to an NRL record and here we have Sean Lane coming out and making thirteen of them which could easily be rounded up when they do a second pass on the the stats here. So yeah, three points easily. He was just outstanding and. Wow. Mate, can we in the uh, preamble that you put into the uh, the podcast? Um, uh, well, sorry, I should say the um, it's not really your preamble; it, it's your description of what we're talking about in this uh, post match uh, instant reaction podcast. Can you put in there that I, we'd like people in their replies to give us their three two ones because I'm really interested to see the spread of nominations and the differences that that happen from tonight's game because I think there's probably a real mix of about half a, at least half a dozen players that could lay claim to getting points in a 3-2-1 so I'm really interested in that so can you put the challenge out there well made in the, uh, in the in the post description just to say look we, we'd really like it if people can put in their 3-2-1 nominations hopefully people are listening and they're remembering that we're after this in this this podcast but um, you know sometimes we, we get a mix where uh, we have uh, people who are listening to the podcast uh, before they're uh, replying, but then when it's this instant reaction, we also get the mix of people who are like, just want to get into the conversation. When, they, when it goes up first, yeah. they're just they're just jumping in with replies about the match without actually getting around to listening to the podcasters yet. So uh, they're just waiting for a post to come up to add their thoughts about the match. So yeah, we'd really like a three, two, one with that. So um, yeah, um, uh, Sean Lane with the three. You said Sean Lane with the three as yeah, well. I, I just think he was just so dominant. Um, you know, a guy that we have always known how good he can be, uh, but he's also had lulls in his game or in his seasons. Uh, but this year, you know, there's been passages of play where you can say, yeah, he missed the tackle here and that, you know, wasn't the, the best there. But the, the bar has been raised so high and he is a genuinely elite edge back rower right now. Like, he is an absolute difference maker. Now we're getting to the two and one. And my two and one, I, I'm, I'm going. I keep switching between them. Who gets the two and who gets the one? Uh, 
gee, it's hard to go. I, I'm going to give the two to Clint Gutherson. I, I, when you, when I come to the the one point, you'll see why I had troubles. But I look at Clint Gutherson's and he's 189 run meters and five tackle breaks, a line break, a line break, a six assist, six offloads, no missed tackles. Um, it's it was just an almighty game from the captain. Oh, so he he, he has to, he has to get the two points. He is so so crucial to us, isn't he? And it's why we were so frustrated when he was having this sort of not prolonged, but you know, starting to get a bit how you doing downturn, you know, because so much of the team feeds off what he brings to it. And when he is at his best, like we are seeing, not just his last couple of weeks, because the loss against South Sydney, he was outstanding too. He and Sean Lane. So it's no surprise they feature in the points again for you this week. I, however, am going to go a different direction for my two. My two points is going to go to another four because I said this in the preview that this game was all about setting the tone, chasing the collision, dominating the ruck. And I feel like no one, you know, no one in a, in a forward pack that had some big meters, Junior Paulo or Junior Barlow, sorry, 160. Uh, we had Ice 140, Madison 150 uh, off the bench. Well, technically he started, but Murata Nikore, 110 meters. Oggy was very good too, with nearly 100 to his name. Uh, this bloke just set the tone from the first set. Uh, the first kickoff was a bit of a mess, and he still managed to fight it all the way out to about eight metres out. Uh, Reagan Campbell-Gillard, 184 metres, 88 of them being post-contact, broke a few tackles. Uh, I believe he got through, given our, our defensive workload wasn't too high on the whole, he still got through. Oh, he did miss a lot. I, I sort of almost retract my two points here. In, in that regard, he had 18 tackles, but a whole stack missed. So he was one of the poorer defenders there. But a stat that I wanted to cite that we don't usually mention on the podcast, we do we do it as a team stat, but not an individual stat. He had a blazing fast play, the ball speed of just over three seconds. So he was you know pushing over the advantage line every carry, setting up all these big shifts and these big aggressive raids. So outside of yeah. his, his defense, which could almost dock him a point, if I'm going to be honest. But like I said, coming back to what the... The, the core game plan was what the mission statement was to not not just for the parameters to succeed but to put on notice the rest of the competition it was for the forwards to dominate and he led the way in that regard yeah i see now here's my problem i could easily give now my one point to any forward and i'm having trouble splitting regan campbell gillard um ice even Maddo um, and and Murata for the start that he brought the heat, the heat that Murata brought yeah. at the start of the game, right? So I'm having trouble splitting them. So I've decided that the forwards, with the exception of Sean Lane, who was an absolute standout, were just an absolute unit and did the job as a unit. And I and I think it's unfair that I split them. Therefore, I'm giving my one point to Mitch Moses because oh, I just thought... Oh, he zagged. He, he's, he could have zigged and he zagged. So it, it, I, I just thought that the football smarts that he brought tonight, I can't, I can't ignore it. He was, he was like, um, if, if, the, if the forwards baked the cake tonight, which I feel that they did, blokes like uh, Moses and Gutherson put the icing on the cake. The icing, the cherries, the the roasted peanuts and hazelnuts, everything. It was the yep. the deluxe cake here. Yeah, so uh, that's that's why I haven't selected a forward for uh, any points after uh, after Sean Lane because I, I just can't I just can't split them. I just thought they just did a superb job as a unit, and as I said, they baked the cake. 
Gutho and Moses added all the decorations. Um, so, yeah, that Moses gets my one. Well, my one point goes to the captain, Quinton Gufferson, scored two, set up uh, another two, including a really nice pass and a really nice uh, heads-up kick. And it's an area of his game that usually has me sort of peeking from my eyes saying, what are you doing? But that was read beautifully and executed even better to get uh, Tommy Opacic over. Uh, you know, ran for 190 metres, uh, broke five tackles, just was all over the park. Defensively, very good too. Uh, I know the Broncos didn't throw a lot of haymakers at us, but when they kicked short, he was reading the play fantastically. The kick returns were strong. It was a nice mix of strong runs and also using Mike Acevo aggressively, but without uh, jeopardising the ball security, you know, without risking a turnover. So some really nice wrinkles to his game this week. While also going back to sort of going back to the well, of what makes him such a good all-round fullback? Yeah, my one point with uh, with uh, love, I suppose, with that little like the little plus sign. It's 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 more than one point in a in a you know in a system where you can only give him the one point. In this particular instance, he deserves more. So, and likewise, Mitchell Moses, who gets a big honourable mention, but probably gets you know two points any other week. I'm I'm just again I'm just looking at the numbers of the forwards. Reg 184 running meters. Junior 160. Lane 153. Ice 140. Um, Marada 109, but he's only out there for 39 minutes. Maddo 153. Yeah, we there, there, there's a reason that we nearly doubled up the Brisbane Broncos running meters. Our forwards oh. went buck wild in this game, and I just want I was just thinking about the the Reg missed tackles, and I actually think he accrued a few of them in that last 10 minutes because he was playing like a man possessed. He was shooting out of line, looking for the big hits, and uh, ended up you know tagging a player but not completing the tackle, which I think would have been attributed as a missed tackle. So, yeah, I love the intensity. I love the attitude. I just I love the, like I said, the mission statement that our boys came out with for this game and stayed true to. You know, yeah, the, that third stanza, that third quarter, you know, things didn't quite go to script, but... They didn't let it get to them. They just got back to work in the fourth quarter and absolutely pummeled the Brisbane Broncos. So now, mate, we go into the rest of the... Uh, I mean, isn't it fantastic to have... Um, if you've got a Thursday night game, hate <laughs> to win that so that you can you just you sit got, back. you got half your week just feeling the, the afterglow of a good win. So that- oh, mate, I've got... You know, the... the um, the the arms are up behind the head, the the feet are kicked up, kicking back, uh, a drink, just watching the rest of the games and uh, well, watching speaking, them belt each other, maybe cheering for the Roosters. Yes, against speaking the of, as relaxed as we're going to be for the rest of the week, knowing that we're pretty much booked into the finals 100% now, there is a little bit of nervous energy about the primetime game tomorrow because that is the key for the Parramatta Eels to push into the top four. If the Roosters can get the storm and there are two teams that, like the Eels, look to be timing their runs perfectly for the finals, it is actually incredible how many of the big contenders have gone through these sort of late mid-season slumps and have now like, oh, yeah, no, no, we're just pretending. You know, we're we're good to go. They're they're all firing now. But if the Roosters can get the Melbourne storm, that means it's a winner-takes-all bid at Combank Stadium next week for the top four. Yeah. Four four and against doesn't matter. It's just going to be competition points. So, yeah, that, that is the only wrinkle when it comes to uh, enjoying the rest of your weekend because, geez, you can't be anything but chuffed after a win like we had today. Yeah. Um, mate, we're, we, we've still got 
quite a lot of Parramatta Reels for mm. all to come. We've got the New South Wales Cup playing tomorrow night. Tomorrow at Kelly Hill. Yep. Saturday, we've got the flag playing their last game of the season, uh, Saturday afternoon at Kellyville. And then Sunday at Combank Stadium, we've got the NRLW playing their second match of their season against the Dragons. So it's a full weekend of Eels football. Um, I'll be up there at uh, at Kellyville on uh, on Friday night and Saturday for those lower grade games. So hopefully we can. Uh, well, we, we're one from one. It wouldn't be marvelous to get to the uh, Sunday game and be four from four. Um, couldn't be better. But for now, what a start to our extended weekend of football. Yeah, we we go four days consecutive of Parramatta football, like you said. Getting all four wins would be absolutely amazing. New South Wales Cup playing to secure their spot in the final series for reserve grade. Jersey flag, they've only got pride on the line, but they're taking on the second-place team, Newcastle Knights. A good win there would say a lot about how they finished the back half of the season. And obviously the NRLW, short turnaround for them in, in terms of, not, not time, seven days or so, but in terms of what they've got to try and fix against what they learned from the Roosters and the St. George Lord Dragons and no pushovers themselves, but very excited to see what adjustments they're going to make between the players that they've brought into the team and structurally and schematically what they can bring to spotlight players like Gail Broughton a little bit more. So, so much exciting football ahead. 60s. We're going to cover all of it as we can or as much as we can. And yeah, just like you said, going to go through all of it with that nice afterglow of a huge win in the NRL, setting us up potentially for an incredible round 25 against the Melbourne Storm. Yeah, looking forward to it, mate. Uh, can't wait to be back there at, uh, at Combank Stadium next week. We've also got our um, final appearance for the season in Parramatta Leagues Club for, uh, in Jack's Bar and Grill for the Instant Reaction Podcast Live. So make sure you're there Thursday night next week to join us after the game uh, to celebrate the Eels beating the Storm and, and putting themselves into the top four. Yeah, what, what a way it would be to finish off the regular season live from Jack's Bar and Grill, celebrating that top four berth and the third clash against the Penrith Panthers. You know, it, in, in non-sudden death football, but, you know, with plenty on the line, just one win from the grand final if you get that victory. Yeah, wow. So you don't hear us say it often, but go the Roosters. Just say that quietly, go the Roosters. You know? <laughs> and and as for me, mate, go you mighty Eels. Yes, indeed. As always, thanks for stopping by, giving us a listen. Uh, like Sixty said, not only uh, you know give us a like and whatnot on all the metrics there, but if you were listening to the podcast, give us your three, two, one this week. Really keen to see who you guys rated as best on field in a fantastic team performance. Stay tuned for goals, grades we got from the stands. All the good stuff coming out of this win. Uh, plenty of it in the next couple of days. But as always, we'll catch you guys in the next episode.